There we go. Yeah, I'll turn that up a little bit. Yeah, there we go. Get some. Ooh! Yeah. <laughs> this has got such a kind of a sexy. Mm, it does. I know. All right. So, hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Heart and Hustle Visionary Healers, Movers, and Shapers. I am your tribal hostess, your movement motivator, your magic maker, Paulette Reese here in Portland, Oregon. And today's special guest is a woman from Sacramento, Kim Guile. Got it right. Got it right. <laughs> um, who is also a coach, and she has um, some really great thoughts about the, well, the work that she does and her her little specialty area of coaching. And I really was impressed with um, what she brings to her coaching world. And it's so fun to see some of the overlapping work that we do together and then how everybody has their niche. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited to bring her to you today. So thank you all for coming in and joining us, listening in. And I'm gonna, I'm playing this great song called Human by Rag and Bone. Yeah. I thought it was pretty appropriate for today's talk. <laughs> and let me fade that out so we can get on with this juicy conversation. So how are you doing, Kim? I'm doing great. How about you, Paulette? I'm good, and I'm loving, like, look, every now and then, there's the Portland sun, and then there, it's not there. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful day in Sacramento oh, today, too. Oh, it's like oh. 70 degrees. I, we hardly had any winter, which is really it's really strange. It's actually a little scary. It is scary. But yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm loving it though. <laughs> loving it. But like I said, every now and then it really comes out. So I have to hide. So I have to out. But mostly it's cloudy today. Uh-huh. So anyway, that's just the weather. Yep. <laughs> the weather update. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Gosh. Um I um, somebody who's always done a lot of things and never knew what she wanted to do. DLOS. <laughs> yes, I'm definitely a DLOS <laughs> and probably always will be. Um, so, but I knew early on, I mean, I've created a life that I really love. I get, I have a lot of flexibility. I spend my summers actually in Wyoming. I live in Grand Teton National Park in a little cabin at the base wow. of Keweenaw by South Jenny Lake, um, which is wonderful. It's my my happy place. How long have you been doing that? Gosh, I've been doing that. I think this will be my 16th full-time summer. Wow. And are you working there? I do. I work in the office of Exum Mountain Guides, which is the oldest mountain climbing school in the country. Yeah. I got involved there because my uncle was a guide and an owner for like four decades. So wow. I actually went out to visit him when I was 12. Uh -huh. And I remember he pitched up you know, a pup tent next to his cabin. And I don't even think I'd ever, like maybe I'd done a sleepover, but I don't think I'd ever camped. I remember being scared, but knowing that I probably wasn't gonna get any sympathy from my bachelor uncle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a wonderful trip. He took me up to the saddle of the Grand Teton and then guided some clients and then we went down and I think it just got under my skin. I always wanted to go back and I was never a climber originally. Um, so I started working in the office, which I love. It's a great way to connect with people and help them uh, do something they never thought they could do. Uh -huh. uh, and since then, I have become a climber. And yes, really, you have. Mm -hmm, yeah. Wow. Um, and do you, do you only go there and climb, or do you go around the world and climb? 
I have done some climbing outside of the Tetons, but most of the climbing I've done has been in the Tetons because that's where I know an amazing group of guides who will take me climbing. Oh, man, that just yeah. sounds so beautiful. How great that you've been able to continue that and, and follow that part of your passion. Well, I have, um, anything I do has to fit with me going to the Tetons in the summer. So I don't do something if it doesn't work with that. Priorities. Yes. Priorities. <laughs> she yep. knows what she's doing this one. <laughs> Love it. That's, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so when you're not there. When I'm not there, I've most recently been in Sacramento mm -hmm. and I have my coaching business and I do actually answer phones for Exum over the winter, which I love. It keeps, you know, one finger in the pie, so to speak. Okay. Um, and then I also do some consulting at the College of Continuing Education ah. in Sacramento State. Mm -hmm. And then I'm currently working on a book project about the history of Exum Mountain Guides and doing oral histories with as many of the older guides as I can track Ooh. down, the ones who are still with us. Oh, how's that going? It's been fascinating. It's so much fun to talk to these guides. They're, I mean, especially, you know, those who are guiding early on in the 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, now mountain climbing is a thing, right? Everybody climbs and there's a path to becoming a guide and certifications and all of that. Well, none of that existed early on. And the stories of how people became mountain climbers and guides are just fascinating. They're just right. Well, and I can imagine, I mean, even the equipment. Mm -hmm. Totally different. Totally different. Yes, it's, it's amazing what they did with what they had and the non-existent training they had. I mean, really uh, incredible people. So it's been quite an honor to get to talk to them and hear their stories. And so how far into the book are you? Not at all. I've just been talking to people. <laughs> yeah. Great, great concept. Mm -hmm. um, do you like to write? Are you a writer? I do like to write. I have um, a newsletter that I send out every month or so. Um, uh, related to coaching things, things that inspire me and things that hopefully are inspiring to other people. Um, I have a PhD, so I, I basically have already written a book. I wrote a dissertation. Um, okay. So I'll definitely be using those skills with uh, this book. And I'm really curious to see how it comes out. I'm not quite sure what the, um, I'm not interested in writing a dry history. I'm interested in people's stories. Mm -hmm. But I also think that Exum as a school has been instrumental in, in the guiding profession in this country. Um, and big part of the story. So it's, it's also something that needs to be shared and there isn't anything out there about it yet. So you are doing it. That's right. <laughs> it's coming through you. I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, a PhD in educational <laughs> psychology and research yes. on teaching. Yes. That is correct. Yep. Educational psychology, which is, uh, the study of how people learn and how you measure what people have learned. Mm. And then I was specifically focusing on burnout among teachers. I had done some teaching myself. I had fallen into it, like many things in my life, just sort of opportunities arose and took mm -hmm. them. I had um, lived in Japan in high school and then taught English over there after I graduated from college. And I had come back and was substitute teaching at my old high school in Japanese. And then their teacher left and they said, Kim, how would you like to become the Japanese teacher? And I thought, well, I, was, I should probably get a job. You know, I'd been avoiding a full-time job for a while. Um, <laughs> and I was like, I know Japanese. I can teach, right? Oh, my gosh. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. That is still, to this day, one of the most challenging things that I've ever done, also the most rewarding. Um, yeah, so I ended up teaching Japanese. Uh, so I had that as a background. And 
I had wondered, I ended up only teaching for two years because I didn't have a license. Some other people came in with licenses. I ended up not being able to stay. Um, but I always wondered how long would I have lasted? I mean, it was, it was so for me anyway, to do it the way I wanted to, it was really, um, it took a, it takes a lot out of you, you know, to, I think to really connect with people with, you know, all your students, because they're all coming from such different places. And so that was part of my interest in uh, grad school. And also just in general, I've always been fascinated with, you know, why do people do what they do? And why do people end up places that make them miserable and stay for so long? And what can you do to <laughs> protect against that? Or what works? Is so prevalent, right? It's so prevalent, right? I mean, I think the most you know recent Gallup poll on the topic shows that still like two thirds of American workers are disengaged at work, um, which is just ridiculously high. I mean, oh, considering yes. how much time we spend at work, it is just well, it's ridiculously sad too. It, yeah, yeah, it's it's a tragedy. It really is because, um, well, I mean, the the reason partly that I came to you know being so passionate about this is in large part, watching my dad, um, who picked a career, I think for all the wrong reasons, he thought it would be prestigious and, you know, good salary, but I think he was trying to live up to his expect, you know, what he thought people expected of him and his older brothers. Um, and so he picked a career, uh, that was prestigious, but didn't at all draw on his strengths. It was actually a horrible fit for him. And so he wasn't very good at it. And I, I saw this firsthand. I worked in his office when I was in high school. Um, and he did leave for a little while and did real estate development, which was much better fit for him. But then the bottom dropped out of the real estate market around the time I graduated from high school, actually. And he was 50. And I think he felt he had nowhere else to go but back into law. And so I really saw the effect that that had on him. He was he was really pretty miserable. I mean, he found some ways to make it kind of manageable, but he was never he never let himself do something that would have drawn on his strengths. Like he would have been a wonderful tennis instructor or salesperson, you know, but that wasn't, I don't know, enough. Right. And yet it was never what he wanted. I don't think he was trying to be what other people wanted him to be. And, and it really had a, a negative effect on his well-being, my whole family's well-being, his relationship with my mother. And mm -hmm. so that was really, um, you know, a big factor why I'm so passionate about if I can help somebody not go down that path, then I feel like I'm doing my part, you know, to make the world a better place. That's, that's, well, that's a great reason. And obviously there's a passion there because of your mm -hmm. father, there's that mm -hmm. attachment. Um, and you, I, we're, I, we are kind of on the same age, I think. How old is your father or was your father? He was 80 when he died a couple um, years ago. Okay, so my dad was older than that, but there's kind of that generation too. My dad was in, corporate work, uh -huh. lots of it, you know, yeah. kind of, and, and my husband's dad was just like that. And, um, you know, sometimes it's generational too, but, but how horribly sad, even now, I mean, to fall into those work things that, you know, your family does, you're supposed to do, you feel like you're supposed to do, uh -huh. you don't love it. Right. Right. What's and with then, that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's hard. I think, you know, we're, we're, we are social animals, right? And we don't exist outside of a community. So of course it matters and it should matter, you know, that we are aware of what's going on around us and what's, you know, expected to at least some degree. I mean, and you can't, I don't think you can ignore it. It's just, it's there. Right. Um, but 
I think that's the struggle is, is if, if it really isn't a good fit, then, you know, where do you find the courage and the strength to tell yourself, you know what, I, I, I realize what other people are expect, but, and often, honestly, maybe they don't really expect it. It's what we think they expect and, the, and what they actually expect is not necessarily the same thing. So sometimes it has to do with unpacking that, you know, but where do you find the courage to say, you know what, this is not for me. And even though I don't know how it might work, I feel really drawn to, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, just taking that leap and going for it and trusting that it will work out. Cause I think when you really pick, you know, something that is really truly yours to do somewhere or another, and who knows how <laughs> it has a tendency to work out. Yeah. And of course you have to allow that to happen. Yes. <laughs> you have to be open, open to receive that. Yes. And then, you know, on the other side of that, and I've seen this a lot, um, and I've worked with clients in kind of the opposite situation where they're in a job that they're just hating, mm-hmm. but it's not because they don't really love the job. Mm. It's because they're suffering burnout or they're not doing mm-hmm. enough self-care or mm-hmm. sometimes it's old stories they play in their head. Right, right. And to turn them around to actually fall back in love with that yes. work. That yes. And so you do that a lot, it seems like. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I do is work with people to help them figure out ways to make the job that they're in better. Yeah. Because I think lots of times we get into this uh, place of feeling stuck, like there's no options and we have no control and there's nothing we can change. And that's never 100% true. There's always some options and there's always things you can change. But kind of like you said, it's a matter of, yeah, it's usually up here. It's a matter of, uh, <laughs> of, of really, you know, allowing yourself to see them. Um, yeah. And there's some really interesting research that I draw on in my work on job crafting, which is research on how you can craft your job to make it closer to something that is a calling. Mm-hmm. And it's really great. I mean, you can really do that with any job. Uh, you know, there's a great story. Um, one of the professors who's done a fair amount of research in the field talking about a woman he and his wife met when they had their fourth child and she was a custodian at the hospital, this lovely woman. And uh, they started talking to her and uh, you know, she's doing a job that a lot of people wouldn't consider all that exciting. Maybe not a job that you would consider to be your calling, but to her it totally was because she had made it so much more than that. She you know, truly believe that she was contributing to the mission of the hospital, which is helping sick kids get well. And, you know, her doing her work added to that. But then she also made a point of connecting with, you know, all the, you know, parents and all the kids and, you know, trying to make them laugh in some way. Um, you know, so she really made it into right. something that was her oh, calling. It's so heartwarming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's so true. I so believe that. I think that every job, there's a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're... Mm-hmm. The, the waste collector or the custodian or the lawyer yeah. or the doctor or, you know, you sell burgers. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and there's a reason for all those jobs. Right. I mean, the social fabric, you know, communities as we know wouldn't really exist without everybody doing their thing, whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, <laughs> when I, several years ago, I was in a, I was in a burnout mode myself. And I was like, all I want to do is go serve coffee. I just <laughs> mm-hmm. want, I just want to go serve coffee. And I did. I, I didn't uh-huh. back from, I went from serving coffee to opening up my own restaurant. But um, <laughs> that's, you know, that's my workaholic thing going on. Um, <laughs> just don't stop at serving coffee, Paulette. Open up a cafe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
a vegetarian cafe in the middle of hunting village, but that's, another, that's a whole other story. I love it. <laughs> um, but I did love it. I actually did love it. Yeah. Um, I loved, I loved serving the people that way. I loved uh -huh. making the coffee in the morning and mm -hmm. it was a totally different thing. Um, and I actually did stay with all my other jobs as, as most of you out there in heart and hustle land know. Um, but, um, uh, but you know, sometimes you need a break. Yeah, right. Sometimes you do. It's not different. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to step back so you can get a better look. Um, actually, quite often. And there's yes. that's a really good thing to do. Like you go every summer and go climbing. Mm -hmm. That's so fantastic. Yep. <laughs> um, and it feeds your soul. It does. It, it does. Your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And part of it is because it's such a wonderful community. You know, there's. And there's not many places, we call it summer camp for adults. You know, there aren't a lot of places where um, you interact with people on a regular basis. And you know, we have these little cabins, they have electricity, but they don't have running water, which means that you're going to be going out to the bathhouse, you know, multiple times a day. And that means everybody's always out and about and talking to each other as opposed to, you know, in your typical American suburb, you can go in and out of your garage and never even meet your neighbors, much less talk to them. Mm -hmm. So having that kind of built-in connection is also something that I really appreciate. Oh, that's good. And it's so true. I mean, that is, that's a driving force is that we are all so hungry for connection, mm -hmm. contact. Yes. Yes. Uh, not even just connection, but contact. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of us get it over the internet and a lot yeah. of us get it in person, but we all need a tribe or several tribes. Absolutely. <laughs> in fact, my, um, my Facebook Live last week was on who do you surround yourself with? Because it really matters. Proximity is power. And mm -hmm. if you're in business mode and you surround yourself with powerful business people, like-minded people, you're going to expand with them, yes. you know, instead of having someone pull you down. Mm -hmm. um, another topic. But um, uh, so that's beautiful that you get to do that, that you followed your dream and you make it work for you. Mm -hmm. You, mm -hmm. you, nothing yeah. else will work right. unless that works. Right. And you know, things happen, right? I mean, I, after my finished, after I finished my PhD, I was, um, looking for, you know, some part-time work to do and, uh, something that worked with going to the Tetons and I got connected, uh, with Sac State, the college of continuing ed mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, got hired on as a temporary, uh, on a temporary basis and really liked working there. love the people. And, um, you know, when I had started, I'd said, I'm gone for three and a half months in the summer. And when it came time for that, they said, okay, you know, your job will be here when you get back. I mean, you know, so where does that happen, right? I mean, you could say that never happens, but it does happen and it can happen. You know, that sort of thing can happen, I think, when you are really clear on what you want. Right, um, and you, you may communicate not, it. Yes, and you communicate it. Mm -hmm. and, see, here it comes. Hold yes, on. Yes, there's the sun. <laughs> <Wow>. I see <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, communication is so important, too. That's mm -hmm. true. Very mm -hmm. true. Yeah. What else? So what do you do? What do you do for yourself on a daily basis? What's your self care? So I have a dog, um, my mountain attack poodle. Oh, I love that you said yes. that. <laughs> your mountain attack poodle. Yes. He's the only one of his Tucker, kind. Right? Tucker. Tucker, yes. He's 15 pounds. Um, uh, but quite fierce. He's around here. Where somewhere. Is he? Where is he? He's right here. I could grab him if you grab want. Grab him. I want to see him. <laughs> okay. Come here, Tucker. Don't you know? He's like, I'm sleeping, mom. There we go. There's oh. Tucker. There's Hi, Tucker, Tucker, the mountain attack poodle. 
is just <laughs> precious. Not looking very fierce at the moment, but trust me, he, he he's like, would you he just pop me down? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I have, I have a corgi, but I can't. Oh, nice. I can't wake her up. She's, she's a big corgi. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. Anyway, um, he's getting a little older. He'll be 14 in April. So he's got some arthritis. He's not going on as long a walks, but you know. Does he, every, go, does he go climbing with you? Uh, he comes out to the Tetons, yes. He, do, he doesn't actually go climbing. Dogs aren't allowed in the in oh. the national park on the trails. But yeah, he's definitely out there every summer in the cabin with me. Nice. Uh, and he loves, he loves it. Um, but yeah, every morning I make sure that I go for a walk and you know, we used to go the whole walk together. Now I take him for a little walk and bring him back home. And then I continue on a walk myself. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of one of my main things is making sure that I, that I get outside and I'm getting some movement and, um, you know, and he really makes sure that I get that no matter what else is going on. Oh, nice. um, Cause you know, I have to take him outside. I don't have a dog door kind of on purpose. And so, you know, couple times a day and before bed I'll get outside and and I love that you know just just reconnecting to outdoors and the weather and at it's least on some day. level mm -hmm. yeah. I know I have to go out every day too every morning go out yeah. and walk and run and it's my meditation and my yes. powerhouse and yes totally totally uh-huh you get lots of thinking done on walks mm -hmm. uh -huh. <laughs> yes <laughs> sometimes too much but sometimes too much that's also a good time to connect with friends and, and often I use it to listen to things that I'm interested in. So yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Books on tape. That's kind of my new thing mm -hmm. when, I'm, when I'm out walking. Mm -hmm. uh, what else do you do? Um, I try to make sure I get plenty of sleep. Um, that has always, I've always been a champion sleeper. I was known as a champion sleeper. Um, remember in Colorado, I had a group of friends. We used to go on hut trips for snowshoeing or biking, that sort of thing. And so there'd be 20 of us all in this hut. And they'd all be up and I'd be in the middle of everybody still sound asleep in my sleeping bags. <laughs> oh, I'm envious of you. Yes. <laughs> that does not work for me. <laughs> so. um, and yeah. you do ballroom dance? Yes. Yes. I love to dance. And it's funny. I never considered myself a dancer at all. My sister is a fabulous dancer. She's actually a four-time world champion in country western ballroom dancing no way yes way yeah and she's amazing she's oh just a, a fabulous dancer and a great teacher um where is she she is in colorado oh. so she's in denver and colorado springs so anybody listening who's in denver and colorado springs she she is the one to take lessons from and i'm not just saying that because she's my sister uh -huh. um, she's really an amazing teacher and i know something about teaching <laughs> um but i i went to one of her classes my mom and i way back when uh, she invited us and we thought, oh, that'd be fun. We should see what Kristen does, you know, no intention whatsoever of continuing. But we both had so much fun at that first lesson we went to that my mom has literally been going ever since. In cool. fact, she just competed in the World Country Western Ballroom Championships at the age of 73. Go, Mom! For the second time. Uh-huh. And, um, and I took, you know, lessons from her consistently for a couple of years and got a really good foundation. And then when I moved to... Sacramento, um, in the same-sex community, what they do out here is uh, formation teams. So I joined formation team, and I've been on one every year since, and it's super fun. Um, wow. You know, we get a group of six to ten people, and there's routine and choreography, and you know, we have a coach that teaches us. And we have costumes and music, and we compete in April Follies, which is the you know same-sex um, ballroom dance competition that happens uh -huh. every spring. So. 
we're we're try, we're in the midst of trying to learn our current routine at the moment. Right but, yeah. So I love I love dancing, and uh, it just strikes me as funny because I was certainly the person growing up who would never dance and felt totally awkward. And I'm quite tall, and I always felt all elbows and knees and gawky, and and I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't care. And uh, you know, I'm I'm just going to dance because it's fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Oh, that's so good. It's so good. Gotta move. Gotta move. <laughs> Indeed. Um, all right. Well, let's see. How about this? How, what has been some of the hardest things for you in, in your being an entrepreneur? What's been some of your obstacles? Um, so I, I've, I've kind of fell into coaching, but not really. I actually found out about it through a a newsletter for ABDs, all but dissertation, back when I was, had done everything but my dissertation and okay. was dragging that out for quite a while. And uh, that, the person who ran that newsletter also ran a coach training school. Mm-hmm. And uh, every now and again, they'd have notices about you know, uh, classes or fellowships. And a couple of years after I finished my PhD, I was still on the newsletter because it was really great positive psychology um, articles. Mm-hmm. Um, they had an announcement for a fellowship for the foundational coaching class. And I literally had one of those light bulb moments where I was like, that is totally what I am meant to do. Um, so I took, I took that class and that's how I got into to coaching. And for me, because it's one of many things I've done, it's been, um, you know, I've just been trying different things and seeing what works and sometimes things work and sometimes they don't, but mm-hmm. you know, then you learn something. Right. Um, you know, finding I, the whole idea of marketing and putting yourself out there is tricky. I mean, I'm, you know, I've done a fair amount of speaking and so I'm not, you know, nervous about that, but it's always different talking about your own yourself for your, your own stuff. (laughs) Um, And so for me, there's definitely been a fair amount of inner work kind of going through my own personal self doubts of, well, what do you know, do I really have anything to offer that's different? And am I really helping people, you know, and, and I'll feel that way even when there's plenty of evidence that, you know, when I'm connecting with the right people that I can really help and I do have something of value to offer, but it's interesting. I mean, I think all of us on some level, probably worldwide struggle, you know, with, with at times, you know, that self-doubt or the self-worth. I think that's just sort of fundamentally part of the human condition. And I think it's really important to have to go through that mm-hmm. because it does help, help you solidify more your own beliefs. And- yes what you do know. Right, right. And really be able to stand in your value yes. and, and yeah. know what you can offer and what you can give. And I think a lot of that has to do with stepping into what you know, you're meant to do and where you really can help, where you can really put your strengths to their best use. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I think that's how we continue to evolve as humans and you know, make the world a better place and, and hopefully reach a different plane is all of us really stepping into whatever it is we're meant to do. Oh, and that is such a good place to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> such a good place to be. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want that for everyone. Me too. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right. So you have, um, you have a leap, make a leap strategy session. Yes. Um, so she's offering a free gift, right? To, yes. to you viewers out there. If you um, want to connect with Kim, I'm going to give you all her links, mm-hmm. um, but that's a really nice strategy session. And um, do you, you have a blog? I do have a blog. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, blog. Yes, it's called the Summit Register. So my business is called Coaching Heights, 
and uh, I have pictures of the Tetons. I on love that. You that. That's <laughs> great that you marry that. Yeah, yeah. They, it feels um, actually, you know, just another uh, connection there is when I, I think I told you that when I started working at Exum, I did not climb. And nor did I have any interest in climbing, but they said, you know, if you're going to work in the office, you probably should have some idea of what we do. So why don't you take a class or two? So I said, fine. And um, I did the, you know, beginner class and then the intermediate class and beginner class was okay. And the intermediate class was terrifying. Like I literally, after it was done, was like, what am I going to do? I really want to keep working at Exum, but you know, climbing, why would you want to climb? It's horrible. Um, (laughs) I found it really scary. And, um, it's, but I wanted to keep working at Exum. So what I did is I went back and I took the beginning class again and the intermediate class again. I did that over and over. You know, my uncle would take me out every so often and, um, gradually, and it took a long time. Um, I went from literally having moments of panic every time I climbed (laughs) to realizing that it was just, uh, that the systems worked, that it was a puzzle. You know, you just had to figure out where to put your hands and your feet. And it was always all mental, right? There was never any physical reason why I couldn't do it. It was always up here. So working through that fear um, and knowing that I could trust myself and my body and the people that I was working with to climb was really uh, empowering for me. And so I think that, uh, you know, that's why climbing and coaching in many ways uh, are, are really well connected. And there's a lot of lessons from both. Sweet. Thank you for that. That was great. That was great. Okay. Well, that was fabulous. Great, great stuff that you're doing. I love hearing what you're doing. Super fun. (laughs) I love seeing how it lights you up. Yes. I I definitely feel very lucky to um, have have created. It's not luck. True, true. We make it. Yes, yes, we make it. Mm -hmm. Designed your life. Yes. And that's that's profound To, to be... To be all that you want it to be. Yeah, it's important for all of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're only human after all. <laughs> right. That's right. We are. <laughs> well, thank you, Kim. And um, what a delight to have you here. Totally fine. My pleasure. Completely. Yeah, that was good. And thank you, everybody, for joining another episode of Heart and Hustle, Visionary Healers, Movers, and Shakers. I am your transformational lifestyle coach. Movement, momentum, and magic. And we will see you next time. Thanks for being here. Bye. Bye. <laughs>